0: Now, I've pre-recorded. I mean, you might have noticed, actually, that as a church, we're trying to pre-record some of what we do so that we can be a bit more versatile in these in these online services. So I've pre-recorded a sermon for us a little bit later on. And the danger in doing that is that it gives you a chance to reflect on what you've said and change <laughs> change your mind. I haven't changed my mind, there's just something I'd like to add. And actually, it's, there are all sorts of things I might like to say and... Uh, add to what I've already said. But this is just important because in passing, one of my applications is I say that we find strength in Christ and we find strength in Christ um, to sustain us when we're in situations when we're unhappy. And one of the applications I mention is in an unhappy marriage. And what I want to add to that is if anyone watching this is in an unhappy marriage because this is on the internet and I I might not know all of you who are watching this. If you are in an unhappy marriage, then seek help. Don't take what I say as indicating that I'm not inviting you to seek help. And secondly, when I mention unhappy marriages, I'm certainly not referring to abusive marriages. And so again, if you are in one of those, then do not take this message as a sign that you should stay in that situation. You should come out of it. you should get help. So I wanted to clarify that before I I move on to the sermon. But now we're going to hear from God's word. We're going to turn to the feeding of the 5,000 and then I will deliver a message on that.
1: This evening's reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. Mark 6. Verses 30 to 44. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish then jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and broke the loaves then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people he also divided the two fish among them all They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand.
0: And now let's pray as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, as we see this miracle that Christ performed, please may we be filled with love for him because of his care and concern for the people. And may it not just be a story from the past, but may you bring it into the present for us and help us to understand how it applies to our lives this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there are some pretty big companies out there. I'm thinking people like Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. And I don't know about you, but it makes me a little bit nervous sometimes. You've got these companies with power. They've got a huge amount of power and influence but I don't know to what extent they use that power uh, for the good of ordinary people like you or me. I had an experience with a phone company recently where I was trying to move phone companies. So I had my mobile number and I wanted to change my number to a new company. So you have to text the old company with a, a code. And um, once you've got that code, you give it to your new company and they move your contract across. Now, when I texted for this code, The uh, phone company I was leaving phoned me up within 15 minutes of me getting the code or something. And they tried to persuade me to stay. And that's fine, you know, I'm happy to uh, see what they've got to offer. And they wouldn't match on price, so I didn't stick with them. But they did offer me twice as much data and they offered me twice as many minutes or whatever it was um, for only 50p more a month. I was interested in the price, so they didn't get me. But what really annoyed me is that. They don't have the deal that they offered me on their website, so it's not available to everyone. And neither did they tell me that that was a a possibility for a deal. Last time I called them about a year ago when I called them to renegotiate my contract. My two-year contract had come to an end. I phoned them up and said, what can you do? So they sort of gave me a new contract. And I know things change from time to time, but it just made me think, the only thing that meant that they gave me that good deal was that I'd threatened to leave the company. And as long as I was their customer and they had me, they weren't prepared to give me a better deal. And that made me a bit concerned because a phone company has a lot of power. We all need phones to live in this modern world. And If we rely on the phone companies, then regardless of the fact that they're not government and they're not the authorities or whatever, they have power. And they're not always using that power, evidently, for the best of everyone that they come across. They're just in it for themselves. And understandably so. They are a company. They've got to make money. And I'm not spending this sermon berating big companies. But what this illustrates is power where it's not necessarily being used for the good of everyone. And how refreshing is it where you have a big company that actually really does use its power for for the good of people who are vulnerable? And one example comes to mind, which is when some large supermarkets in the first lockdown, and probably subsequently, said that they are going to prioritize their elderly customers for deliveries. So, you know you're an elderly customer and perhaps people like that are more likely to be suspicious of these big companies a bit less tech savvy and they're wondering how they're going to get their food when they're not allowed out of the house and the big companies are on their side and provide a delivery how refreshing is that and the story that we've got today is refreshing just like that it's refreshing because power and influence is being used for the good of the people And Mark actually makes this point in a really nice way by contrasting it with those, if you like, big companies who don't use their power for the good of everyone. So that's what we're going to see today. Let's look at it. It's Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44 that were read for us before. Very famous miracle of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. And one of the things Jesus says in this that is so famous is the disciples arrive on the scene and there's a crowd gathering around Jesus. And it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, a shepherd being a leader, someone who would care for them. But... Just a few verses before this, Mark has been talking about someone who really should have been the shepherd of the people. And that is King Herod, the king of the Jewish people at the time. And what is King Herod doing? Well, I'm just going to skip back to the verses before the ones we're looking at today, where we see Herod throwing a huge party. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So you're not invited. It's not for the ordinary people. It's for all his friends. Huge banquet. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. Possibly getting a bit raunchy here. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. What kind of leadership is that? How irresponsible to promise this girl up to half his kingdom? And I know that might just be a figure of speech, but he's promising her a great deal just because she danced for them. And you know the outcome probably if you know this story. The girl goes to her mother and her mother's got a grudge against John the Baptist. And the mother says, why didn't you ask for the head of John the Baptist? pretty extreme, but she does. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a dish. And the king was greatly distressed and understandably so. Uh, He admired John in many ways. And he's just been asked to kill somebody because a girl danced for him at a party that he's throwing. The whole thing is just set up to, to make us think, what kind of use of power is this? And uh, this Herod, there are several Herods in the Bible, but this Herod was actually known to be a weak leader and fairly unpopular one. And here he is throwing a huge party, raunchy parties, acting irresponsibly, and it ends in murder. Well, execution, but really murder. It's wasteful. It's disgusting, really. And then along comes Jesus. And Jesus is this refreshing change. Here's a leader who isn't self-indulgent and irresponsible and wasteful. He is, in fact, the absolute opposite. What a refreshing change Jesus makes. So let's have a look at that and let's see what Jesus does in this miracle. And let's see how he is a refreshing change for us today as well. So... The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Basically, the apostles have been out doing God's work. They've been performing miracles and teaching the people, and now they're exhausted. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus invites them to rest, but that doesn't stop the crowds coming and Instead of turning around and saying, oh, disciples, actually, look, there's a huge crowd. You've got work to do. Off you go and do it. He allows the disciples to rest and he himself steps up and leads the crowd. Jesus had compassion on them. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he led them. When you're in an organisation and you're a junior person there, Um, There are times where everything is a bit overwhelming and you have people sort of asking you to do things from all directions and you've got a ton of work on your desk and you feel exhausted and there's nothing better than hearing the words from your manager or boss, leave it with me. You think, oh, that's good. I can relax about that thing now and just get on with these things that I know how to do. And Jesus says to his disciples, leave it with me and you rest. We also remember, of course, that Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So how do we get this rest from Jesus when we're living our busy lives? You know, we have all sorts of pressures. There are pressures. We've got to look after the family at home. have got to fix the leaking shower, get a plumber in for that. We've got to do the wheat shop. We've got to go to work, and there are pressures at work. And Perhaps you've got to prepare a Bible study for a kids or youth group. All these sorts of pressures weighing down on us. How do we find this rest that Jesus promises and that he's so willing to give as we've seen from this story? Well, the best way to do it is to go into a quiet room and shut the door and sit down or go down onto your knees. Take a look at your watch or your phone and spend 10 minutes praying. And 10 minutes actually... If you're not used to praying for a long time, 10 minutes passes very slowly. But what are you doing in those 10 minutes when you're praying? You're resting for a start and also you're releasing. You're releasing all of the pressures that are on your shoulders and giving them to God, giving them to Jesus. Because we can also remember that God taught us to cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us. And where is that verse found? It's found in 1 Peter, written by Peter. And Peter is one of the 5,000 or so who was fed on this day. He's seen Jesus, and he's seen Jesus's desire to give his people rest. And he knows that casting all your anxieties on Jesus is the way to receive that rest. So I'd encourage you to do that this week. Go into a quiet room peace and quiet and just pray and tell God all your anxieties and troubles and receive the rest that he promises. And he will reward that because that is his will for you, that you should bring your problems to him and find rest. Isn't that great? So what a refreshing shepherd Jesus is compared with Herod, who obviously does the opposite to this and just indulges himself. But before Jesus actually feeds the crowd, before we get on to the miracle, he sees that the crowd have got another need. So he's seen them. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. By this time. Oh, sorry. He's seen them. uh, They're like a sheep without a shepherd. So what does Jesus do? Does he feed them straight away? No. So he began teaching them many things. Now, in the story, we're a bit like the sheep we're the people, aren't we? The sheep without a shepherd. And there is very little that is uh, sort of uh, less flattering than being called a sheep. And that's because really, you know, in our culture, we don't want to think of ourselves as uh, vulnerable and isolated when we're independent. Independence is a good thing. We don't want to have to be gathered together and led. We're capable of doing that by ourselves, thank you very much. And this has come from a A variety of things. First of all, the Enlightenment thinking, um, culminating really in Kant. Kant wrote an essay in 1784 uh, about enlightenment. And he said that enlightenment is reaching maturity. Immaturity is where you have to depend on everybody else to make up your mind for you. And maturity is when you can make up your own mind for yourself. Does that sound familiar? And from that time, from Kant. We've been fed the same kind of thing from Disney. Live your dreams, be who you are. And most recently, perhaps in, I don't know if you've been watching the BBC series, His Dark Materials, but it's an adaptation of Philip Pullman's books. And in that TV show, the cardinal virtue is to throw off the oppression of people who are trying to tell you what's right and find the truth for yourself. And that's just the air we breathe, isn't it? Everybody thinks that. But the Bible teaches that we are like sheep. And of course, the irony is that everybody, particularly in this country at the moment, feels like what I want to be is independent and not a sheep and not be a follower, but be um, make up my own mind. Ironically, they've absorbed that from the culture and people around them and people like Kant and Enlightenment think- thinkers and Disney and his Dark Materials and whatever else they're watching on TV. We are all followers. And the danger is, we're followers whilst thinking that we're independent. The thing that we need to do is not consider ourselves strong enough not to be need to be followers, but to acknowledge that we are followers, and then find the right person to follow. Jesus here saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. And who better to be taught by than your creator? It's better not to be told the best way to live by Disney films, but we are. It's better not to be told the best way to live by various enlightenment thinkers who had all sorts of troubles of their own and all sorts of dysfunctional lives. It's best to be told what to think and what to do by our loving creator and our good shepherd. So how refreshing that we can follow Jesus. And I'd encourage you if you're uh, watching this and you're not following Jesus, and perhaps you thought of yourself as a very independent thinker, an independent person who doesn't need to be told what to think. I'd encourage you to re-examine that and to think about who has, on, on whose authority have you accepted what you believe right now? And I'd invite you to Consider Jesus as an authority. He is the creator of all. And then embrace him and listen to what he has to say and accept the rest and all of the good things that he offers. Finally, we get on to the point where Jesus actually feeds the people. And first of all, this is accompanied by a bit of drama because the disciples come to Jesus and they say, we've got no food, send them away. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, what? We can't do that. And if we were looking at the disciples in this sermon rather than Jesus, we could point out that just before this, they've been sent out by Jesus to teach and perform miracles. And they've come back at the beginning of the feeding of the 5000, all excited about all the things that they've been doing. Jesus, we've cast out demons. We've been healing people. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, oh, no, we can't do that. And then in the bit after the feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus is walking on the water performing another miracle, the disciples don't get it. And they're terrified. And it says they didn't get it because they had not understood about the loaves when Jesus fed the 5,000. Their hearts were hardened. It teaches us a lesson about faith, doesn't it? These disciples were right in the thick of the action, and they didn't believe that Jesus had the power to feed the people. A lot we could learn from that. How often is our faith so weak we don't understand what god is capable of we limit god and put him in a box and as a result we don't always receive perhaps the blessings that we should or at least we don't recognize the blessings that god has already given us but moving on from the disciples i want to focus on the fact that jesus takes these five loaves and two fish and he dishes them out you know and they, they keep coming and there's still more left in the basket and He gives it to 5,000 people, 5,000 men, some of the other uh, Gospels say, so maybe women and children as well. A huge crowd. And it says, they all ate and were satisfied. Herod's throwing this huge banquet and you're not invited. But the ordinary people have a banquet of their own and they ate as well and they were satisfied. That word satisfied, if it's being used in a sort of less polite setting, can mean gorged. They've gorged themselves, but it's being used in a polite setting here. They are satisfied. They've eaten everything they need. And this teaches us a lesson about being satisfied in Christ. And that is because he he has the power to give us everything we need and 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 to give 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 some more. There was a lot left over from this. And this helps us to live the Christian life that we're called to live because we are called to love. And that involves us giving ourselves to others. But there's this, there's this feeling, isn't there, that when you're giving yourself to another, you're running dry and you need something back. But in the Christian life, we don't look for that something back to come from other people or from things around us. We receive it from Christ himself. He gives and he gives and he gives, which means we can give and give and give and not run out. If you watch The Apprentice, I don't know if you do, you get all the people together in a room in The Apprentice and they're at each other's throats and they are really quite nasty to each other. But if you took that same group of people and you place them um, in an all-inclusive holiday, say, then maybe they wouldn't be at each other's throats so much because they're not competing for something. They've got nothing to take from it because everything is provided. There's that satisfaction, isn't there, of knowing that we are provided for. So how does this actually play out in our lives? Well, in an unhappy workplace, we can give and give and give, not because we expect to receive something back in terms of job satisfaction or even the money. We can give and give because our satisfaction comes from somewhere else, and that is Jesus feeding us and feeding us. In an unhappy marriage, you can give and give and give without expecting to receive anything back from your spouse and not needing it because you're receiving from Christ, you're receiving from Christ. And it's the same in friendships as well, all sorts of situations you can give and give. Most people, if they were in a friendship where they didn't feel they would get something back, would probably abandon that friendship. But as Christians, we can be in those kinds of friendship, friendships, and we can just give and give and give and not receive anything in return, because we are receiving from Christ all the time. Jesus fed the people and they were satisfied. They didn't have to go to McDonald's afterwards to top up. Now I just, um, oh yeah, actually, while I'm here, I just want to say something about our felt needs. Because Jesus, sorry, (laughs) Jesus, Chris was preaching this morning, and Jesus was speaking through him. But Chris was preaching this morning about our faith being refined by all kinds of trouble. And often we feel like, well, Jesus isn't actually giving and giving and giving. He's not providing for my needs because I feel empty. I feel like I've got all these needs. And let's think back to the morning service and let's ask ourselves the question. Do we ever think what I really need right now is some trouble to refine my faith and bring it out like gold? No, we don't, do we? But that might be what we need. And it's because the needs we feel aren't always our real needs. It's easy to illustrate that. I mean, when I'm really tired, really, really tired, the thing I crave most is a takeaway. I just want to indulge myself in really rich food. But I know that what I really need is the thing I want least, which is to go to bed at seven o'clock at night or something like that. Get an early night and get lots of sleep. The way we feel doesn't actually reflect our needs very well, most of the time. And so we need the maturity to accept that and acknowledge that and realise that we are feeding on Christ and receiving from Christ every moment of our lives even though we feel these needs. And we can still bring those to God, of course. So Jesus filled the people and they were satisfied. And then there's just this little passing comment at the end, really. Uh, The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Well, what does this tell us? There's a nice little detail in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. That Jesus told the disciples to go and pick up the fragments so that nothing would be wasted. Herod has thrown this banquet and it results in the death of a great leader, John the Baptist. It's incredibly wasteful and all because this girl danced for him. What a wasteful shepherd of the people, a wasteful ruler. Jesus, on the other hand, has literally just created bread and fish out of nothing, and yet says, pick up the pieces because I don't want any of this to be wasted, he could do the miracle again and produce more, but he doesn't want anything to be wasted. And I've had a bit of a go at our culture earlier on in this sermon, but now I want to say one really positive thing about our culture, which is that we don't like waste and neither does Jesus. So what a great guy. I want to apply this and say, jesus doesn't like waste and he's certainly not like herod who wastes a life so you can have full assurance that not one day of your life will be wasted because jesus doesn't like waste and that's true even if some parts of your life feel like they're going down a dead end happens to us all from time to time when that does happen remember Jesus collecting these baskets of leftovers and just remind yourself not one day of our lives is wasted that's what a bad shepherd does that's what Herod did Jesus does not waste things he wastes nothing so a question as we finish how are you going to remind yourself this week of just what a good shepherd Jesus is because If you do nothing, then there's a danger that you'll forget how good he is. And so you won't be able to love as a Christian should love. Because you'll be giving and you'll be giving and you won't be receiving in return. And you'll look to receive from other people and from things around you. And life will be hard and the Christian life will be hard and demoralizing. But if you do something to remind yourself, how good a shepherd Jesus is then your week will be filled with praise and you'll be receiving and receiving and receiving and able to give and to give and to give and you'll be able to live the Christian life of love that God asks us to live now if you don't have any ideas about what you might do here's a suggestion you could learn Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing And that's not random that I picked that one. Obviously, there's the shepherd theme in there, but there's something else in the feeding of the 5,000 that sends us straight back to Psalm 23. It's one word that Mark includes. And the word doesn't actually add anything to the story, really. It just sends us back to Psalm 23. Jesus told the disciples to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass before he fed them. Why green grass? Well, it could be that it's spring because the grass is green in spring in Israel before the summer sun withers the grass. And that's a lovely picture because what's spring? It's recovery from the winter. It's a time of new life. It's a time of refreshing. And what is Jesus here but recovery from a long winter for the Jewish people new life a time of refreshing what a wonderful picture green grass but of course that sends us back to psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he makes me lie down on the green grass and green pastures so we're going to hear psalm 23 read for us now and then we're going to hear it in song form and i'd encourage you to learn it this week if you haven't already done so and if you have just spend a moment each day Reminding yourself of it and reminding yourself that we receive and receive and receive from Jesus and ask God to help you to
1: receive so that you can give and live the life of love that Jesus wants us to live.